Hello and welcome. Hello, yes, welcome to Legendary Africa, your number one African myths and legends podcast, if we do say so ourselves. We um, actually got awards for modesty. <laughs> Voted most modest podcast yes, of yes. 2020. Uh, but we don't like to brag about it, but <laughs> it was a good award. <laughs> uh, just kidding, guys. Um, anyway. I have a cold, so if I sound extra sexy and sultry in this episode, <laughs> I apologize to your pants. <laughs> oh, you have a cold? Yeah. 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 I mean, can't you hear my, my nose is blocked. Oh, okay. It's not the corona, but it's a cold. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> so, what's new with you? You know, um, what could be new in ancient history? <laughs> You Every had to time. make that joke. <laughs> I know. Um, then I don't really have many news. Many oh. news? Much news. I have a bunch of reviews, but uh, give me your news first. So I came across something interesting slash kind of horrifying on ancientorigins.net. Okay. So apparently the sale of mummified body parts, among other artifacts, is now banned on Facebook. And I have to say, when I saw this headline, I was like, wait... So, selling mummified body parts was, at some point, allowed on Facebook? Was this by any chance for corpse medicine? <laughs> Reference to our interview with Dr. Richard Zug. Check it out if you haven't already. <laughs> Again, not bragging. <laughs> Interesting. But yeah, so, uh, last year, BBC News did a whole expose on um, how Facebook has banned all these sales of ancient artifacts. Mm. And basically the reason for that is that they're worried that it's basically being sold on the black market and that these artifacts have been stolen from, uh, you know, various places like Iraq, Syria and whatnot. No. Um, so apparently the artifacts that have been sold on Facebook include ancient scrolls, manuscripts, sculptures, mosaics, and even, as they said, body parts. Oh, I mean, not that I'm interested at all, or would even ever consider buying such things, but where would you get these? How dare you? <laughs> scrolls, man! I love scrolls! Yeah, but on the black market, that's disgusting. Yeah, I guess. How dare. I mean, honestly, I was just surprised that they only banned it now. Like, why did this not... I mean, I didn't even realize that was a thing, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. And that they only... You know, Facebook is really... It's something it's, else. yeah. I mean, we're never going to be sponsored by Facebook, so we might as well say now, what you doing, Zuckerberg? <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, that's my little piece of news. Fascinating, fascinating. Let's get on to those reviews. Yes, okay. So, from <laughs> Foo, 1966. I think they like that username. Yeah. <laughs> um, they say these queens are legendary love your show episode 6 had a great movie suggestion Palm Springs that I have to check out and the curious little tidbit about how lying gives off a stench that chases angels away who knew that's uh, Shalane from the O Girl podcast which we love yeah absolutely shout out to the O Girl podcast also they called us queens I know I feel like that was the most touching part of the whole message for me <laughs> and then from Kiki Okiza Another great name. Uh, fun and educational. The Shira and Rashalia are a joy to listen to, witty and clever, bringing you African legends straight from Africa. Uh, a little bit of everything in here too, like book recommendations and side stories. A must listen if anyone who enjoys myths and history. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kiki. From, uh, from Mission Spooky, another great podcast. The Shira and Rashalia are a pleasure, and it's been a joy listening to African legends straight from the beautiful country of Africa. 
If you love myths and history, this is a podcast you must add to your regular listening rotation. Thanks, Mission Spooky. And lastly, from Medieval Past, which is Enchanted Podcast, I believe. Fun, funny, and altogether charming, listening to Tashira and Rashalia talk about folklore, myths, and legends from an impressive variety of African cultures is like hanging out with two especially funny and knowledgeable friends. I learn something new every episode, and I can't wait to hear what comes next. Ah, uh, that's sweet. I mean, I don't know about knowledgeable, but thanks anyway. <laughs> um, sorry, that's not the last one. Uh, we still have one last amazing review from Chit Chatting Pod, who says, The Shira Nishai's Legendary Africa is such a fun, spontaneous podcast. I love how their conversations span effortlessly. Effortless, I can't speak, eh? <laughs> effortlessly, from pop culture to interesting facts on African mythologies. And as most siblings, they seem to have that family banter going on. Do we? Do we have family banter? Yeah, you ugly dog. How dare you? <laughs> Definitely a duo to watch, or shall I say, to listen. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks to everyone who left a review, and to those who haven't. What you doing, man? <laughs> Get onto Podchaser if you're on Android, or onto Apple Podcasts if you are one of them Steve Jobs fans. <laughs> and uh, leave us a review, and also rate. Also, if you want to check us out on social media, that's at LegendaryPod on Instagram, at LegendaryPod1 on Twitter, and also leave us an email on staylegendarypod at gmail.com. Also, we do have a website, which you can find basically on any of your uh, podcasting platforms and also on our Twitter page. So do check that out as well. I post blog posts from time to time, and also there is a forum for you to discuss anything related to mythology okay so um what else do i have other housekeeping oh yes our youtube channel legendary africa comes out with videos every other wednesday and we currently have part two of the know your co-host game up right now so please go check that out and tell us uh you know did you play the game uh did you find our answers weird (laughs) (laughs) or anything else (laughs) it's your time first Alright, so I really need to first give you and our listeners a bit of a trigger warning here. This story that I'm going to talk about is quite graphic and it's definitely not for sensitive listeners. Also, if you're listening with children, you might find them listening to graphic violence, so close those little ears. Yes, this is definitely not for children. Okay, so I'm talking about Popo Bawa, an evil spirit from the island of Pemba. His first name is Popo? Popo. It's not to be laughed at, bro. Sorry, sorry. This is not a funny story. Right. I'm getting in the mood. I'm getting in the mood. Are you? (laughs) Okay, so this is actually um, a bit of an urban legend, but a little bit about the island of Pemba. So the island of Pemba, have you heard of it? No. Okay, so it's a Tanzanian um, island, which forms part of the Zanzibar Archipelago. I just like saying that. Okay. Archipelago. I think it's archipelago. Shh, it's archipelago. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, revealing my ignorance here, because I really thought Zanzibar was like one land mass and not multiple islands, but here we go. So, the, how do you pronounce it? Archipelago. Right. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a bunch of islands off the coast of East Africa, south of the Somali Sea, and they're also sometimes known as the Spice Islands. Ooh, wait, that brings it up. Coming back to you. <laughs> yeah, although I don't, I don't think I call, that any, uh, call it that anymore. So, okay, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this. Pemba Island is also called Al Jazeera Al Qadra, which means the green island in Arabic. Um, so, Pemba Island has been inhabited from as early as 600 AD and played a central role in trade during this time. 
Over 2,000 gold and silver coins were found at a site in northwest Pemba, dating to the 10th and 11th centuries, which actually revealed trade networks between Pemba and Egypt, Tunisia, Syria, and Lebanon. Hmm, 2,000 wow. gold and silver coins. Yeah, it seems like a shitload of... Well, I was going to say cash. <laughs> you know what I mean. So, obviously, when the Portuguese arrived, there was a lot of tension because they began to attack coastal towns, but... There was also an attempt by them to unify the coast. So there were a bunch of different groups and they wanted to bring them all together. But opposition from both the um, Arabs who were kind of living there as well as the indigenous people of the island prevented them from doing so. So they actually managed to drive them out. Oh, okay. I was about to say, I feel like this is one of the stops that Vasco da Gama made on the way to the Cape of Good Hope. Is it? Yeah, it seems to ring a bell now. Okay. So after the Portuguese was, was driven out, the Sultanate of Oman then took over the East African coast, and they did participate in the slave trade. After slavery was banned by the British in the 19th century, the Sultanate moved his capital to Zanzibar, and that kind of also helped restore economic and political stability. But anyway, so the urban legend of Popobawa, which is a Shetani, which I believe you talked about already. Right, Shetani, uh, Arabic word for Satan. Yes. Um, so Popo Bawa is a Swahili name which apparently means bat wing. So from Swahili Popo, which is bat, and Bawa, which means wing. So Popo Bawa is a shapeshifter, taking on multiple animal-like forms as well as a human form. Contrary to what its name might apply, it doesn't only transform into a bat. Ooh, I love me some shapeshifters. <laughs> Not this one. So the name actually refers to the shadow cast by the spirit when it attacks a prey. its prey. Not oh. so much from the bat-like appearance. Interesting. Yeah. So it usually hunts at night, but it is sometimes seen during the day, and on some occasion is accompanied by a sulfurous odor. So, I mean, very demon-like. Right. At night, it enters your home and attacks while you're in bed, and sometimes you can hear it on the roof of the house, its claws scraping across the tiles. Oh, no. <laughs> now, the Papa Baba does not distinguish between its victims, um, though it does like to attack those who specifically don't believe in it. But it attacks men, women, and children indiscriminately. Um, and here's the very nasty part, and again, big warning. It usually physically attacks its victims or acts like a poltergeist, but sometimes it would also sexually assault its victims. Gross. Yeah. And this thing is humanoid? I mean, it not that depends. it makes a difference, but, like, it's still weird. It depends, I suppose. It's a shapeshifter, so Ooh. who knows what it'll turn up as. So, apparently, after it's finished, it tells its victims that they must tell other people that they were attacked, otherwise it would return to repeat the attack much more violently than the first time. What a dick. Right? So, in terms of where the Popobawa came from, it was first reported in 1965 on the island of Pemba, not long after the um, Zanzibar Revolution, which saw the Sultanate of Zanzibar overthrown by local revolutionaries. It resurfaced again in 1970 and during the 90s, in 1980s. And in 1995, multiple sightings were reported, so that was kind of like the peak of its appearances. Oh, that's quite recent. It's very, very recent. Oh, yeah. were you looking, like 24 years ago? I mean, people still believe in it. Wow. So, um, it was not seen then for the next five years, but a few sightings were recorded in 2000 and 2007 in Dar es Salaam. Oh, God. Okay, that is way too close for comfort. <laughs> yeah. Some believe that the Papabawa originated in the 1970s when a vengeful um, sheikh released a jinn on his neighbors. However, he lost control of the jinn, who then became this demonic creature. 
<laughs> he just released Junan his neighbors, but his neighbors like partying every night or something. <laughs> I, you know, I don't exactly know what his plan was. It's like that seems like a good idea at the time. <laughs> These people don't shut the fuck up. I am sending a gin. <laughs> so there, uh, since it was reported in 1965, there have been multiple what they call Popoboa panics. So um, there have been numerous panics associated with it over the years in Zanzibar, the island of Pemba, and in Dar es Salaam. Following the rise and fall of, of the data regarding the attacks, it seems as though it pops up during each election cycle in Zanzibar. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some people even believe that the pop-up hour is either the vengeful spirit of the assassinated president, Abed Karum, or is summoned by political parties during elections. That seems like an illegal campaigning technique. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, but victims of the Papa Bawa deny that there are any political associations with the demon. Right. Um, although the trend is a bit suspicious. So, I mean, it could just be that it coincides and it's just a four-year cycle. I mean, yeah, I, I suppose people are already anxious around election time, so panic would be quite easy. Ooh, what if the anxiety of the collective population summons the spirit? Oh, that's a good theory. Or, or like the anger floating the ang- around yeah, yeah. between opposing parties. Especially if you go with the theory that it was a vengeful, like a, a gin that would turn demonic. So maybe it is triggered by anxiety and anger. And That's a cool despair. theory. Interesting. So in 1971, the Papa Bawa allegedly appeared in front of a number of people through the body of a girl who was possessed by the demon. The girl spoke in a deep male voice, and shortly afterwards, many of the witnesses said they heard the sound of a car revving and rustling on a nearby roof. On a roof? On a roof. Interesting. <laughs> don't, don't park your cars on roofs. That's a, It's only dangerous. Santa swapped out his sleigh for a Ferrari. Oh yeah. <laughs> so exorcisms are frequently conducted and charms often still placed at the base of fig trees, with goats being sacrificed to ward off the demon. After a massive panic wave in 1985, an article was published in the Skeptical Inquirer by Joan Nichol regarding the phenomenon. So I wanted to actually just, um, I copied this straight from Wikipedia and I wanted to read it out because I want to know what your thoughts are about this. This is from the article? This is from the article. Okay. So in the article, Nichol compared the experiences described of a visit from Papa Bawa with the symptoms of a waking dream, also known as sleep paralysis or hypnopompic um, or hypno gargic hallucination. Nickel went on to describe some of the symptoms of a waking dream as including a feeling of being weighted down or even paralyzed. Alternatively, one may float or have an out-of-body experience. Other characteristics include extreme vividness of the dream and bizarre and or terrifying content. Um, so Nickel also compared these symptoms with those experienced by people who claim to have been attacked by incubi, succubi, or hags from Western folklore, and in more modern cases with alien abductions. Now, a book released in 2017 entitled Popabawa Tanzanian Talk Global Misreadings by Katrina Daly uh, Thompson was critical of Nikhil, claiming that he was associating Zanzibaris with fear and Westerners with skepticism. Nikhil responded that he agrees Westerners should be wary of imposing simplistic patterns on another culture, but they also should not shy away from making scientific observations where appropriate. So I really was not sure what to think about this. Um... Okay, firstly, I have an issue with scientific observations, Mm -hmm. because can you actually apply any scientific method to, you know, mythology, creatures that... A legend. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's a legend at the end of the day. As much as people have reported having this experiences and all that, um, you know, as was mentioned earlier in the article, it could be sleep paralysis, it could be some kind of sleep disorder, 
Yeah. It could be uh, someone who has a specific illness and is experiencing these kinds of things during the night. So, you know, there's not really any tangible evidence. Mm. So that's an issue. Um, in terms of imposing simplicity on, you know, different cultures, I have to say I do align myself with that perspective. Yeah. Because, to be honest, there's a lot of literature out there, and I'm talking about, like, academic literature, that talk about things like the African people mm. or in African culture. And there's no such thing. No, yeah. I mean, I think just from this podcast alone, we've realized that there's such an, a huge amount of diversity in culture and language and all kinds of things. So, yeah, I do agree with that. Um, yeah, I think the whole thing is kind of moot, to be honest. Mm. I think, honestly, with these things, if you're a skeptic, you're a skeptic, and you'll always be able to find plenty of, in quotes, real-life explanations yeah. for these events. And uh, if you believe, you believe, you know? <laughs> Very nice. Um, so I do have two rep actual reported stories from epidemiologist Henriette Janssen, I think that's how you pronounce the name, who was working in Zanzibar town during the panic of 1995 and published observations in Tanzanian affairs. Again, these stories are very graphic and not for sensitive listeners. I've also copied these stories. Um, so, April 4th, 1995. This morning, when I arrived at the Ministry of Health here in Zanzibar, where I work, I saw hundreds of people on the road outside the hospitals. There were also policemen from the field force unit with weapons and loudspeakers. When I asked Fatma, my secretary, what was going on, she said, Papa Bawa is dead. The crowd was gathered around the mortuary. Everybody wanted to see the body of Papa Bawa, the cause of public hysteria for the past couple of weeks. So Papa Bawa formed part of a group of allegedly seven persons who for several weeks have been terrorizing the islands and giving everyone sleepless nights. According to this report, a Papa Bawa wanders around at night, practically naked, with a cow's tail and a jar containing magic medicine. Wait, so I'm, I'm a little confused. You said that it forms part of a group of seven. Mm. But then how can they say that it roams naked? So I think they mean all seven of these oh, potential people or creatures, whatever. Um, so apparently with this magic medicine, the Papa Bawa can split walls and doors open in such a way that it cannot be noticed afterwards. Men and women inside the houses are then raped while they sleep. If you wake up at night, you cannot see Papa Bawa because he is not human. So that's also why the legend came about, because nobody knows how this happens. Whenever Papa Bawa comes near, the people with special powers start screaming loudly. The whole group then chases it until he disappears. So last night on the street corner, Papa Bawa undressed himself. Again, they're only referring to one, so it's a bit confusing. One of the men with magic powers saw the Papa Bawa covered with stinking medicine. The man chased him, and in the struggle took away his jar, which turned Papa Bawa into a human. A raging mob then uh, attacked Papa Bawa until he was dead. So now we have the body of a man, and um, my secretary, who was in the crowd this morning, told me that he looked like a normal man. So that was the end of the one story. I feel like there was a lot to unpack in that story. <laughs> yeah, and I actually shortened it. <laughs> <laughs> because firstly, um, this is the first time we're hearing of a jar. Mm. I couldn't find that anywhere else in my re in my um, research, so... So I presume it's supposed to be, like, the source of power. I think so, yeah. Again, this kind of sounds like mob activity, mob violence against somebody who may have raped somebody, I'm not entirely sure, but... Yeah, so it could be mob violence, or it could be vigilante justice for an actual band of... Are they just rapists or killers as well? Mm, rapists. 
Yeah, so mm-hmm. an actual band of um, group rapists. Yeah, that's what I think, yeah. So um, I'm not going to really read out the second, the whole, whole second story. It was about the day after this mob attack, where basically uh, it describes a man who heard his wife yelling in the next room, saying, Toka, Toka, which, go away, go away, and he rushed to help her and saw a strong and handsome young man, almost naked, squatting next to the bicycle that was parked in the room. Um, all the neighbors came running, and the papa bower went up the roof and disappeared. So again, is this a creature? Is this a normal person? Up the roof where <laughs> he had parked his car. <laughs> he parked his car, yeah. I'm sorry, I know it's not funny, but I just felt like I needed to no, inject no. something in there. It's a bit of a heavy one, yeah. So um, this one's saying, one day after the death of papa bower, nothing has changed. The mass hysteria continues. So I think they're just commenting on the fact that how things can spiral out of control potentially, um, due to this legend. In 2007, another report was released by BBC News, which claimed that sexual attacks were being blamed on Papa Bauer, with some men forcing themselves to stay awake in groups outside their home, and others smearing themselves with pig's oil in an attempt to repel the creature. So, um, what I kind of wanted to discuss a little bit here or think about is that, is this urban legend really a legend, or is it how people are explaining like these random rapes or I mean yeah I'm personally of the opinion that most urban legends emanate from people needing to explain something that is so horrifying or so strange that it almost doesn't bear like like we that you almost can't conceptualize it you know mm. because you know normal people don't rape it's it's yeah. not a thing that you do if you're mentally okay so it's really difficult for us to relate to something like that, and it's easier, in a way, to think of it as supernatural. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm in- inclined to that. Uh, what I do find interesting, though, is that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is kind of tied to Islamic culture and beliefs, right? Because we mm-hmm. said it was a shaitani. Yeah. So what's interesting also is um, some recurring elements in Islamic faith, like, for example, the kind of repulsion towards nakedness mm. and how that's kind of associated, not necessarily with evil, but like something disgusting. Yeah. So that's interesting that they say that Papa Bawa uh, appears naked. Mm-hmm. And then also smearing yourself with pig oil. As we know, pigs are considered dirty in the yes. Islamic faith. So it explains why they think it would repel the demon. Right, right, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. Mm. What's also interesting is that uh, the local hospital, um, like on the island, for example, has said that they have no reported cases of victims of the Papabawa being uh, administered in the hospital. So Mm. is it because they're choosing not to seek help, or are these just stories? Like, it's a bit hard to tell. Yeah. Between fact and story, but I guess that's the whole point of an urban legend. I mean, this is, might be kind of a way out theory, but mm. is there any possibility that these women were actually being raped by their husbands? Probably. I mean, that is a possibility. I mean, yeah, I think, well... And I'm, then and then what you're saying, and then they like sort of rationalize it as this creature? Uh, no, that the men themselves actually spread this mania to kind of deflect from the fact that they were actually doing these things. I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, okay, it actually does seem kind of improbable, but, you know, it might be... I mean, it, it's also interesting that the creature apparently also attacks men as well as children. Although I don't think there's been any cases of sexually attacking children. Hmm. That's been mostly just physical assault. But there's also been sexual assaults on men while they're like alone in their homes, something like that. So it's interesting that there's 
there is no pattern in terms of it only being women or only being men. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that I was speculating about, like, well, not just husbands attacking wives, but, like, spousal abuse mm-hmm. is that uh, it's interesting that none of these people sought medical help, like, turned up at the hospital mm-hmm. where, you know, you could see clear evidence of rape. Uh, so that's why I was thinking, like, okay, maybe it's a disempowered woman who are, like, too afraid to report on their spouses or something like that. Or, I mean, we know that the problem with men and sexual assault among men is that often there's this kind of uh, toxic masculinity perspective where mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, men can't report having been assaulted and things like that because it's somehow unmanly. So, But yeah, uh, that's true, and there's a uh, culture of shame and everything. What's interesting, though, I mean, they're not reporting to the hospital, but they are reporting to everyone else. Yeah. Because these stories, this, you know, men themselves have told these stories, and they're gathering in groups together in an attempt to protect themselves. Uh, but, yeah, that's basically all I had, and it was just a bit of something that blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's fascinating. Um, horrific. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. But, yeah, very interesting. Uh, thank you. So my sources were, of course, Wikipedia, Tanzanian Affairs, BBC News, and ThompsonSafaris.com. Okay. Yeah, sorry again for that somewhat graphic story. Well, I mean, you know, it's a reality of life, and maybe it's a reality of the supernatural as well. I mean, we know of things like uh, the European concept of the vampire that involves rape as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a, in a sense, a lot of the time. So, or the succubus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, my story is perhaps not light-hearted, but maybe a little <laughs> less violent. <laughs> Hopefully this isn't a completely dark episode. <laughs> and we'll get on to that right after the promo break. This week's promo goes out to our journal podcast. Mono and Neo are South African mother and daughter duo and hosts of our journal podcast. As the name suggests, Our Journal is a recording of their everyday experiences, challenges, and views on topical issues for their personal growth and development. The aim of the podcast is to raise awareness around African traditional norms, behavior biases, and stereotypes that could get in the way of personal ambitions and development as people in the African continent. Support Our Journal podcast by following them on social media, as well as on YouTube, at Our Journal Podcast. For partnerships and promos, email ourjournalpodcast at gmail.com. So today I'm going to talk about a mythical place. I believe the first mythical place we've uh, talked about on the podcast so far as Legendary Africa. Yes, I think so. So better than that, this is no ordinary hangout. Grab your side and your darkest outfit because I'm talking about the underworld. I'm so ready. Now, of course, there are many versions of the afterlife existing in a multitude of religions, cultures, mythology, etc. There's Hell, Hades, Avalon, the list goes on forever. Mm. So, to be more specific, I'm referring to the concept of the underworld prevalent among the Akan people of Ghana. Okay. Now, we've talked about the Akan before. In one of our previous episodes... Yeah, that was when I was talking about the um, fairies. Right. Okay, so go back to, I think it's episode three or four, Harry Fairies Gave Us Fire, to learn more about the Akan. I'm going to skip the usual background and um, just go to the underworld. Awesome. So, for the Akan, the underworld, known as Asamando is the dwelling place of ancestral spirits. Unlike the Christian concept of heaven, however, Asamondo is a literal underworld, so it actually exists below ground. Okay. 
This resonates strongly with the many ritualistic dances and the pouring of libations upon the earth to the gods practiced by the Akan, since clearly they believe that spirits are connected with the ground. Mm -hmm. Now, since the Akan have a concept of the underworld, it is fair to say that they also have a notion of the afterlife, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. In other words, the death of the physical body, known as Owuo, only initiates the body's transition to Nsamamfo, which is the community of dead spirits in Asamando. Okay. So I'm kind of imagining here a Florida Keys retirement home, <laughs> you know, with the beach yeah. and the beige walls. <laughs> <laughs> so so for them, the body actually goes until the wall, not just like the soul, for example? We're going to get into that. Okay, okay. Sorry, dropping the gun. <laughs> okay. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into elements of Akan spirituality. So for the Akan, the physical and spiritual are separate spheres, with the physical divided into the Honam, which is the body, and Mogya, which is the blood. Okay. And the spiritual divided into the Kra, which is the soul, and the Honhom, breath of divine life, as well as Sumsum, the spirit. So for in this culture... The spirit which carries over generations, sumsum, and it's actually kind of uh, sort of inherited through the father side of the family. Okay. The sumsum also represents the character and personality of an individual, and this too is believed to be inherited through the patrilineage. Alright. So, when you die, the honam and mogya, which as you'll recall is the body and blood, mm-hmm. are returned to the earth. So that is, they're given to the earth goddess Asasaya. Okay. While the spiritual elements, Kra, Honhom, and Sumsum, are taken up by Nyame, who is the original creator of mankind. Okay, okay, I get you. So, at the point of death, the Sumsum is the spiritual component that descends into Asamando, where it awaits judgment from Nyame to determine whether the deceased is allowed to join the community of ancestral spirits. This journey of the Sumsum to the underworld is believed to take around 42 full days. Oh, oh wow, okay. Which represents a cycle in Akan cosmology. Um, and I have to say, that is a fuck long time in Limbo. I mean, I'm kind of imagining this train full of like dead souls. You know, like the one in Spirited Away? Yeah. And it just, it just takes a while because there's lots of stops. <laughs> pick up more people. 42 days on yeah, a train. Yeah, and you know, then it just, eventually you get there, and you get there. <laughs> Christ, you gotta be like really. You mature, you're patient. Your debt matures. <laughs> <laughs> so, in that time, basically the family and friends do rituals, they uh, do extensive funeral rites known as Ayi. I don't know how to say this. Ayi, possibly. And it's vital that each stage is performed. Perfectly. Mm-hmm. So, if, for example, your cousin Jeffrey on your mother's side fucks up like he's always done since birth, <laughs> I mean, seriously, Jeffrey, get it together, get it together man. Okay. <laughs> your sumsum may transform into a malevolent spirit that will oh. haunt your family for eternity. Oh no, no, that's not what I, I thought. Maybe you know, they just couldn't, you know, get the underworld. But okay, no, no, we're talking full transformation haunting, huh? into a demon. Cool. I mean, bad, obviously. <laughs> so just. Don't skip the fine print on the instructions when it comes to the funeral rites. <laughs> it's bad for those who want to cut corners. <laughs> also, speaking again about uh, the 42 days travel, mm. I just have to say, especially in these times, if you guys are complaining about traveling internationally and getting quarantined for two weeks, <laughs> just remember how long it's going to take for your slow-ass soul 
to leave your dead ass body. <laughs> I like that it's 42 days, you know, 42. Uh, the uh, meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Mm. Douglas Adams reference! <laughs> now, as I mentioned before, once the Sumsum returns to Niame, it awaits trial. The basis upon which your spirit is judged is a familiar one. The extent of your righteousness in life is measured. Okay. So this is kind of similar to Greek mythology. A little bit similar to Egyptian as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The whole crocodile eats your heart out thing. <laughs> you're a bad boy. Yeah. And also to St. Peter at the gates. Yes, of course. So I couldn't quite find out what is meant by righteousness in the context of the Akan. Mm-hmm. So honestly, I'm not sure whether like blasting thrash metal from your bedroom when your parents have guests counts as a <laughs> negative point or not. <laughs> I mean, it's probably best to find out before you kick the bucket. Just in yeah, case. true, true. But this, there is a twist here. If your spirit is deemed worthy, you get to return to the living world to live out your inkrabia, which is your destiny, within the body of a newborn. Oh, is that how all those supernatural newborns exist? I mean, in map. Oh yeah, that is true. That makes a lot of sense. Huh? Although, um, so it's not supernatural. It's literally just a kind of cycle of life. Oh. So you die, if you're a good spirit, your spirit gets into a newborn, that newborn lives out their life, and so on and so forth. Okay, so there's no kind of like remembering your dead thing. I mean, remembering your past life. No, I actually think that this is possibly where the whole, the spirit continues through the patronage thing oh, comes I from. I I mean, they don't specify that the newborn must be one of your family, mm-hmm. but maybe that's what they're talking about. Okay. So, I have to say, if I was the newborn, though, I wouldn't really see how this is a plus. Or even if I was the dead spirit. Because it's like, <laughs> you spend your whole past life learning how to do algebra and shit. <laughs> and then you just reduce back to pooping on your mom. I mean, I presume they don't remember, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I said before, this basically completes the cycle of life. And, uh, <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lion King reference. <laughs> And um, that's it for kind of the spirit part of the cosmology. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about Asamando itself. So one source claims that Asamando is a replica of an Ashanti village. Oh. So uh, that is the kind you would find above ground, except with all the bad and inconvenient stuff taken out. So oh. no drought, plentiful food, and in all likelihood, a complete lack of COVID-19. <laughs> On the downside, the afterlife is not for sitting on your laurels and sipping a nice tea, since you are still required to tend cattle and farm in Asamondo. Okay, so, so you kind of like continue your life in a way. It really is like the afterlife. Yeah, you continue your life, but it's idyllic, you know? There's no real strife or anything like that. So it doesn't really seem so bad if you didn't pass the test and get to be reborn? Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> it's true. I just want to end my bit of today's episode with a legendary tale focused on Asamando, and it's quite a long one, so I'm going to cut out some parts, and forgive me if I don't do it justice. This story is about Amokye, the guardian of the gate to Asamando, and the story I'm about to tell is quite reminiscent of the tale of Orpheus and Eurydice from Greek mythology. Okay, okay, okay. The story begins with a man named Quasi Benefel, who was remembered as a great hero that boldly entered the realm of the dead. While still living? Yes. Mm. I mean, if he entered the realm of the dead while being dead. I mean, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't be particularly be a legendary person. Maybe he really he really looked after the cattle in the underworld. You know? Anyway, 
give cattle herders some recognition, sorry. Well, <laughs> you may be wondering why a totally healthy, prosperous, and very much alive farmer entered the underworld. I mean, to be honest, I've always wanted to enter the underworld. <laughs> well, you got some serious goth energy, and I respect that. Thank you. <laughs> so, our bro Quasi had everything going for him, right? Mm-hmm. But he lacked a wife. Yeah. As they say, no life without no, wife. No life, no wife. No <laughs> wife, no life. Apparently he needed the wife for house cleaning and to mourn his eventual death, so... Oh, what? That's crappy. (laughs) Not very romantic. (laughs) So naturally he went on a village expedition to obtain one, much in the same way that you would venture out to purchase toilet paper on a pleasant Tuesday afternoon. I am not liking this guy. (laughs) To his gratification, he soon came upon a beautiful woman that looked like wifey material. (laughs) They married, obviously. And then she died. Okay. Yeah, I know. That escalated quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Quasi was heartbroken and buried his wife in beads and cotton to honor her. However, Quasi could not forget his wife and began to live in a daze of grief. Hmm. So much so that his family grew concerned and tried to intervene. Oh, shame. They did this by sensitively suggesting he suck it up and get a second wife. Oh, that's... that's, uh, Family is a blessing. How long had it been since she passed? I mean, I don't know, but let's go. <laughs> he guy needs time, you know, and probably therapy. Quasi finally gave in and married a second wife, who soon became pregnant, much to the couple's pleasure. Hmm. Unfortunately, what do you know? She died too. Yep. What the, is he? Is is it just from being married to him? Is it so painful? <laughs> just wait and see. Just like slay me to die. <laughs> this whole story gets even more weird. But unfortunately, the wife also died before birthing their oh, child, no. so it was extra sad destroyed, Quasi locked himself in his house for many days, and once again his family worried for him. Fortunately, they innovatively came up with a plan to get him yet another wife, since that worked out so well the last time. It's time to stop. <laughs> Quasi initially protested, claiming he could still hear his dead wife's spirit calling out to him. Which one? Uh, the second one. Okay. But eventually he relented and married a third time. You should tell his family to fuck off. <laughs> This third wife successfully gave birth to a son, the family was happy. Okay. And then... She died, didn't she? <laughs> One day, Quasi gets the news from some villagers that a tree had fallen near the river. Quasi was perplexed by their distress, like who gives so much fucks about a dead tree? But then, <laughs> realizing that they were leaving something unsaid, he managed to wrench the full story from them. It seemed that his third wife, on a visit to the river to collect water, had lain beneath the tree to rest. The spirit of the woods weakened the roots of the tree, which then fell upon the woman, crushing her to death. Uh, what's up with the spirits? I know. Is there a reason they're being so nasty? Is he not, I don't know, like, do enough rituals? Or like, what's that? Why do they yeah, have to get him? This guy needs to amp up on the praying. <laughs> this time, Quasi was catatonic with grief. I mean, I would be. Villagers claimed that he himself was dead. That's how unresponsive he was. Poor man. They did a bunch of rituals, rubbed his feet. And eventually he regained some consciousness, although now no villagers would trust him with their daughters. They're like, <laughs> no way, you're not getting married That's to bad them. Juju. As he wandered around the forest for days, and he grew thin, his clothes ragged. He eventually came upon another village, where I guess he thought maybe his luck would change, and he married a fourth time. Wait, what about his son? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just upped and left. <laughs> it seems that way. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know. So, I mean, it's not like he was being an attentive father. He was, like, catatonic and whatnot. Yeah, I guess. Now, predictably, the latest wife also died. So we're now on four wife deaths. This led Quasi to abandon his new life yet again. He returned to his village eventually, the original one, where he fully intended to just go to bed and die. Oh, no. One night, however, 
overcome with a need to see his deceased wives, he journeyed into Asamanda. He came upon a village, but it was empty of wildlife and soundless. He then found a river, but the water was too high to cross. Fortunately, he spotted an old woman on the opposite bank with a brass pan in hand containing beads and cloth for women. Quasi realized immediately that this was Amokye, guardian of Asamando. Oh, of course. Amokye recognized Quasi and sympathized with his great loss. However, she initially denied him access to the other side of the river since he was still alive, dramatically declaring that he would remain where he was till he died and became a soul. Now this is romantic. <laughs> Quasi managed to persuade Amake to let him cross. She directed him to his wives, whom she said would be invisible, he would be aware of their presence, and they would be aware of his. That's a bit creepy, isn't it? <laughs> so he managed to finally convene with his four dead wives and find peace. Oh, it ends happily! I thought maybe, you know, he's just he's gonna commit suicide or something. So, so that is the story of Quasi Benefo and Asamando. Loved it! So my sources were Encyclopedia of African Religion by Molefi Kete Asante and Encyclopedia of the Unseen World, the ultimate guide to apparitions, deathbed visions, mediums, shadow people, wandering spirits, and much, much more by Constance Victoria Briggs. Yeah, that was a hectic time. <laughs> I'm like, please, are you trying to fulfill a world count? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> he really went to visit an underworld. I mean, alive. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's probably alive so that I can come back and tell you all about it. <laughs> Guys, well, thanks again for reviewing the podcast. Visit us next time on Monday. Remember to check out our YouTube videos. And uh, other than that, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary.